Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. everyone welcome back to podside picnic i am without pete i think he's already left for vegas or is leaving soon to go live that decadent life of his um but i am here with not one but two special guests uh we're welcoming back recurring guest friend of the pod all around hail fellow well met Kurt Schiller, who in this context, it's particularly important. Kurt is many things, but I think it's especially important to say he's the founder and editor-in-chief of the new magazine, Blood Knife. Welcome back, Kurt. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me back. Always always a delight come, to come back on the pod. So thanks thanks for having me. Yeah, and I'll say right now that uh, if you join the Patreon and get in the Discord, you will definitely hear from Kurt because he's an active member in there. So. <laughs> Some would say occasionally too active. <laughs> I think you're just the right amount of active. Honestly, you add a lot to the to the Discord. That's anyway, folks. That's a good reason to become a patron if you're not yet. Um, so that's a shameless plug. And I'm sorry, I've made our other guests wait far too long to be introduced. <laughs> but uh, she is a writer and also a book publicist at Wonderkind um, Publicity. And welcome, Lindsay Lee Wallace. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I, I apologize for uh, making you wait so long to be introed i just i had to i had to tease kurt a little bit there but that's okay i would always prefer to hear someone be just like a little bit mocked and then wait a little bit longer you know like that's a trade-off that i'm here for well then you're perfectly suited to this pod there's a lot of uh, a lot of good-natured ribbing that goes on you might say fantastic Um, okay so i just to clarify for everyone the reason that you're both here is because kurt and i don't i assume you have other people that are working on the venture so i don't want to say it's just you but you have launched this new magazine and Lindsay is one of the writers in the first issue of this exciting new publication, Blood Knife. Isn't that right? Yeah, that is completely right. I mean, I mean, to be totally honest, it is it is mostly just me. Um, there are a couple other people um, who may be coming on to kind of help um, with some of the editing um, and especially, you know, we're, we're interested in, in branching out beyond just what what we're publishing currently, in, in which case we, we, we may bring on additional editors but but i mean for the most part it is it is currently just me and then and then much more importantly than me are our contributors um but yeah i, I mean i mean just to kind of like give uh listeners an, an idea of what the heck we're talking about um blood knife is uh, a digital magazine uh about science fiction fantasy horror and capitalism so we are pretty much focused on publishing um original analysis pieces think pieces hot takes whatever you want to call them about uh genre media whether that's fantasy sci-fi horror um you know i I think we launched with in particular kind of like a cyberpunk vibe just because that's where my brain constantly uh orbits like like a uh planetoid around a dying star um (laughs) but uh but it's it's not necessarily just limited to cyberpunk you know so like in our debut issue uh, we have articles about Game of Thrones. We have an article about Children of Men. We we have you know some some we have an awesome kind of like trend think piece from 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 uh, from Lindsay, which hopefully we can talk a little bit more about later. But I mean that's that's basically what it is. Um, and uh, I'm I'm super psyched to be to be doing it. Uh, it's it's been it's been fun so far, and I'm I'm excited at the you know the the response that we've gotten so far. I mean I'm very excited because like it's a publication that is irrelevant to the stuff that I'm working on both in this pod and elsewhere and it's launched by someone that I already know so like you know my my uh vast media empire I just feel like got a little <laughs> bit I have an ally <laughs> for my for my imperial um <clears throat> mongerings and schemes but I I want to ask uh I mean I'm I'm kidding that is like there there are selfish reasons that I'm glad it launched but also like I'm excited to read it and I had a lot of fun uh, reading Lindsay's piece um, oh, right thanks. before we were, we were recording this. And I want to ask, I mean, could you just describe the piece that you contributed to Blood Knife? Yeah, for sure. So 
basically uh, it's called Will COVID-19 Change the Face of Horror? And actually it's an excerpt from this, I mean like adapted slightly, updated, made more relevant, but an excerpt from this much longer research project that I did at school, which when you were talking earlier about, you know, the main focuses of Blood Knife, I had this like education where I got a degree in like absolutely nothing specific and just like vaguely wandered around studying everything I was interested in, which was basically like everything that Blood Knife is focused on. So (laughs) when I saw that you were looking for pieces for this, I was shocked that anything I had ever done was going to be relevant in the world and like jumped on that. And uh, this piece is basically about Um, sort of going from Noel Carroll's theory of horror cycles, which is like this idea that every decade or so there's a overriding social anxiety that becomes clear in the horror that's produced during that time. And um, focusing on how the horror cycles of the 1930s through 50s can inform what our horror is likely to look like in the future as the result of the pandemic and the recession that we're going into and will probably continue to be in. Um, informed by the polio pandemic back then and the Great Depression. Yeah, I think that's it's it, it was a very astute piece, um, and kind of in particular, I think that it, it helps answer this sort of ambient question that's always floating out there in the culture lately, which is why is horror having such a big moment? And in particular, I always say this in the show: why is it that horror is like the only? Um, non like non blockbuster slash non Oscar genre that can get like studio financing and actually be distributed in theaters. <laughs> um, not that anything's in theaters right now, but I think you, you helped us answer that question. I mean, do you want to flesh out a little bit uh, what answers you gave there? Yeah, for sure. So basically um, the overarching idea is that the horror cycles that happened in like the thirties through the fifties as the result of what was going on then gave us media like Frankenstein and King Kong, which had these, you know, monstrous beings that the audience was initially meant to be sort of like repelled by and then eventually kind of came to sympathize with. And the idea is that that comes from feeling out of touch with society and feeling as though the way that the world is functioning is something that you no longer recognize, uh, which I think is definitely something that we're all really familiar with right now. Um, So that was like sort of one of the main things that I focused on in this piece and that I think we can probably sort of look forward to is more creature focused horror that makes you unexpectedly sympathize with like a supposedly monstrous figure. And then the other thing is um, sort of like medicalized horror as the result of, you know, fears of illness and sickness and things like that, which are, you know, there's a lot of horror around, fears of illness and sickness that can be like very ableist and problematic and has like done a huge disservice to people. And then there's also some that kind of like makes us confront the things that we are, that make us afraid about being sick. And some of that can also be really interesting and is probably something that we can look forward to seeing. And like, as is always the case with any genre, I'm sure that there will also be some stuff that comes out of this that is like truly atrocious. Um, But hopefully some of it that will be really informative as to this moment because i feel like to what you were saying earlier about why horror you know is able to get that major studio funding like there's just no other genre that holds a mirror to society as quickly as horror does and i don't know if it's just because horror is like not as you know pretentious or because things have to happen quickly if there's not as much money i don't know and obviously it's not always great but i feel like you know nothing tells you better what society is afraid of at that moment than something that's designed to make you afraid you know, it's I, I feel like there's something more genuine about about the way that horror reacts to um, social issues. And, and I, I should say that what, what you're what Lindsay is talking about is exactly why, like when when I got the, the pitch for this, I was like, yes, perfect. This is exactly <laughs> this was like the you know, the, the the whole reason that I wanted to 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 ask see if Lindsay could come on as well is because I, I really feel like the piece that, that she contributed really captures like what I'm hoping to achieve with 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 Blood Knife, which is kind of like getting out of the very surface level social analysis that a lot of um, popular media has focused on where like there's something going on in horror um, where like not only is it very 
directly relevant to things that are going on of the moment, but it's like unusually subversive and incisive in a way that makes people genuinely uncomfortable, I, I think. And it's not, it, it it often resists the surface level analysis of, that, that you might get with like, like a Marvel film. Like there are many Marvel films, for instance, that address like, here's a current social issue, whether it's militarism or you know female empowerment or race relations but like the the analysis is often very like like it's it's so surface level that it's part of the marketing of the picture whereas it seems like horror um like maybe because it's still kept kind of like at at arm's length to to an extent from from like serious media appreciators although i i think that might be changing it it manages to be a bit more like sneaky and subversive about it in a way that that doesn't doesn't just kind of make like like a pat statement in support of something. It genuinely asks open ended questions. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that's very smart. And I, I think to kind of synthesize what you're saying, Kurt, with, Kurt, with what Lindsay said, I've I've as you know um, written and talked a lot about what what you described the sort of the superficial politics. I call it the gestural politics of like Marvel movies. They just sort of gesture it. Here's an issue, um, and I think that Lindsay hit a really interesting nail on the head in saying how horror counteracts that, which is that horror, there's an emotional honesty to horror. It gets right down to what actually terrifies us. Like the most raw, visceral emotions we have about these things that are like important and imminent. Like we can't just turn them into a surface aesthetic because we're so troubled by them, if that makes sense. For sure. And I feel like if something actually elicits in you, you know, the kind of emotional reaction that you would have if you were genuinely terrified of something in real life, even if it's just for a second, and then you laugh and realize that, you know, you're not in danger or whatever, like that moment of genuine emotional, like arousal is, it just like connects you to whatever the message is in a way that something more superficial just like couldn't possibly. I feel like anything that, is trying to get at something deeper if it can make you experience the equivalent of like actually being chased by zombies or whatever in terms of the way you're feeling in your body then you're like so much more prepared to experience the message of it on a deeper level as well and like horror is the only thing that does that yeah i mean if the goal of a lot of narratives is to emotionally implicate us as the audience somehow i mean a horror has access to a i keep using i'm keep using words like visceral while we talk about this but like yeah, it, it, it can draw you in, even if you're reluctant, in a yeah. way that um, other narratives might struggle to do, I think. Yeah, there's something so like, um, when it comes to a lot of, of issue-based pop culture, I feel like there's something so on the nose about it that if you don't agree with the stance of the movie, it's very easy to just dismiss it outright and be like, well, I don't. I don't agree. Like, I don't think that, you know, women actually uh, face more struggles than, than men. This is this is a dumb movie or, or whatever it is. Like, it, you know, it's it's easy to dismiss in a way that I think I think horror often isn't because, it, as you say, it is so visceral, often literally visceral, as in there are yeah. viscera coming out of things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's I think we're getting something like super. This is great. Honestly, I'm so glad they're having this conversation because we're getting something really, really important here about like. It kind of gets the heart of the things I've been thinking about lately, which is like, what does it actually mean to give an important issue the treatment that it deserves and to not be cynical and superficial about it? Yeah. And part of it is like, what it comes down to for me to, do, to give it the treatment it deserves in narrative is you have to actually dramatize it, by which I mean you have to emotionally draw the viewer into the process of the characters having to deal with and make decisions around it. So there's there's like all these different layers of what you're doing as the artist, what the characters are doing, and what the the viewer is experiencing, and that's hard. Like what I just described is, I mean that that gets to the crux of how hard telling a good story is, right? Um, right. And you can't just it can't just be that okay we're gonna write a musical about Alexander Hamilton, which might be fine <laughs> as a musical, but we're gonna crowbar in some moments where we're like, oh, he definitely would have abolished slavery if he'd had the chance. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying. So. <laughs> Yeah, and, just to and, help us all sleep a little better after we cry while watching Hamilton like I did the <laughs> other night. <laughs> yeah, and there's there's something so um there, there there's something so like like it's I, I mean, you know, I I I honestly intentionally self-consciously immediately steered this conversation away from the magazine, but but to 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 go back for for a moment, like 
part of you know i i kind of wrote a like little editorial piece in the the launch issue which which in a very cyberpunky way we call it issue 0 um but there was like a launch piece where i i kind of, one of the things i talked about was kind of the troubling nature of the fact that so much media analysis is now directly tied into a film's marketing right so like how do you know that a particular film is about a particular issue and it's kind of like that that old mean joke about how do you know if someone is a vegan or does Pilates or whatever the cultural issue de jour is where it's like, Oh, don't worry. They'll, they'll tell you. It's like, well, how, yeah. how do you know that a movie is about X, Y, Z issue? Don't worry. The marketing will tell you. And it's reaching this, like this, this kind of like absurd level where, you know, a, a, a movie will come out and you'll have like a dozen or more ide almost identical think pieces um about how like oh this movie is about xyz issue as if that's like a novel discovery and it wasn't something that was like has has been talked about on talk shows and press releases and and you know interviews for months and months and months and sometimes you know credit where credit's due sometimes there actually is a lot more there like um i was i was actually listening uh recently to the episode that um you and pete did connor on uh, captain marvel and you you give credit i think um, to, to Black Panther for kind of going, going outside of, of just like, well, let's, let's take an issue and put it in a Marvel film to like, they actually did, you know, make an experience, experience that, that went above and beyond issues, something that a Marvel movie would normally depict with the incorporation of like Afrofuturism. It was like, it was actually different. Whereas like a, a lot of films, it feels like they decide at some point, like, oh, we're, we can market this movie as an XYZ issue movie. And the result is like you get very little honest analysis about it. Um, and the, the the funny thing that is the flip side of what I'm hoping that some of what we're able to uh, to to kind of countermand through the articles that that you know will will continue running is that if if somebody discovers an interpretation in a movie that hasn't been heavily publicized, um, people people like completely lose it about it sometimes like <laughs> like if you look at like the reaction to say uh the joker movie where like they did not heavily publicize that in my opinion as an issue movie and when people are like oh this is a movie that is about you know um people with disabilities trying to access you know social service for instance people were like no it's not that's that's absurd if it had been it would have been marketed that way obviously <laughs> <laughs> i feel like there's definitely this like sense that if you know with like an issue movie or whatever that the issue is seen as something that like historically would have made the movie not profitable or whatever. Like people wouldn't care about the movie if it was about like, you know, how disabled people don't have equal access to resources or about like feminism or something. And so in order to make sure it like connects with its audience of people who do care about that, they like hit you over the head with the idea that that's what it's going to be about to make sure that like people who care about that issue will definitely come out to see it and they will definitely write about it. Cause like who else would possibly be interested in this? And like, if we don't, hand it to people on a silver platter and force them to eat it, then no one will notice. And it's like, I feel like it just speaks to, even though it's like, you know, obviously amazing in some regards that things like this can be the centerpiece of a movie. It speaks to like a deep lack of trust in the general audience that, you know, they won't find that unless you tell them. And the audience that you are envisioning for your film will never care about it or find it unless you like go to their house and break in and demand that they watch it. <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're making me think a lot of, I'm having a lot of thoughts right now about our <laughs> society. But I mean, it, it, you're making me think about a lot of the different, the sort of vectors through which we make the decisions to go to the theater and see movies. I mean, we haven't done that for almost six months now, but you know, in the distant past and maybe in the now future. Now it's the decision to, you know, everyone in your quarantine bubble or whatever, choosing which streaming service to pick a movie from. But like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I'm thinking about that and it's like, well... The conversations that so Pete and I, as as Kurt knows, at one point um, we did try to review a fair number of superhero movies as they were coming out, and Pete really hated doing that. I don't mind saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, I you know it was kind of my idea. I was like, well, we can broaden the scope of what we do if we review these, and it turns out that like people are as interested in us talking about Roger Zelazny and other old like deceased sci-fi writers than they are about like us talking about Captain Marvel. Who knew? <laughs> but anyway, I say I bring this up just because like the conversations that would happen between us or that I find happening happening with friends in the last few years, it's it's very much it's like, well, okay, uh, another stupid superhero movie is coming out. It looks kind of bad. It's gonna be the same as all the other ones. 
you know, I feel like though that these couple people I know are going to want to talk about it because of this reason that like I read a think piece about and like they're going to want to discuss how it pertains to this issue and maybe we can roll our eyes at it. And like that is that's how I make the decision to see the movie that I like I know is going to be just incredibly bland and formulaic. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, you you mentioned you you mentioned you know that that Podside, which which is this is one of the reasons that I love it has start has, you know has increasingly focused more and more on I, I I think you described it recently as like it's the 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 sweet spot for media for the podcast seems to be somewhere between like 1974 and 1970 and in like 1985 or so so somewhere somewhere in there yeah, just like yeah. naturally gravitates there and I I think that's a really interesting time period to think about in the context of analysis because it's really just kind of like like ignored like if if something if there's not our 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 writing and journalism and um you know media criticism and to be clear we you know blood knife goes well beyond just just movies we're doing media of of all sort whether it's it's a book a short story tv um hell we do like a puppet show if there was some angle about it um <laughs> Good to but, <laughs> yeah <laughs> if anyone has has any uh, punch and judy um you know interpretations <laughs> you know i'm 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 glad to receive that pitch um but uh if if something isn't tied to a commercial product that's coming out right now it's almost like like it doesn't get covered outside of um, a, a very limited array of you know, publications. But like when I have conversations with with my friends, um, whether it's on Discord, increasingly online and not in person, but you know, some long time ago and eventually in the future in person again, um, you know, you know, we're we're not just talking about the current movies. The conversation will fl- float around and say, oh, you know, I read this book from you know, 20 years ago, that was unusually uh, prescient, or it's, it's like, seems like unusually woke now looking at it in 2020, surprising to see this in a, you know, a a book from like, from like 1987. And you do get a limited number of articles published in like mainstream publications about like, oh, here's this older work that was unusually prescient for the whatever era, you know, lately, it's been like the COVID era, you know, but it could just as easily be like, you know, this, this book was unusually prescient for the Trump era, there was a whole like string Mm -hmm. of those. But those are those are rare. And like you get the sense that like once they've published one of those, they're like, well, we don't want to publish 10 more of those. Uh, the, the point of Blood Life is to publish 10 more of those, to, to be <laughs> clear. So it's you know, we're, we're really trying to foster a space where, um, you know, people people can can do, you know, go deep beyond just stuff that is popular and of the moment. You know, we're trying to st- strike a balance between stuff that is kind of going back to the barrel and finding stuff that has been overlooked and things that are are of the moment and you know important to mention um the other log line of the magazine is is to to pay people to to f and pay people um because you know i've i've done a little bit of blogging in my day and my number one beef with it is like you're just expected to just like you know put a few hours of work into something and you don't even get like like a token payment for it like it's it's funny because like you'll you'll go onto a lot of sites and look at their publication and like submission guidelines and they don't say that it's not paid but they don't mention payment anywhere which like you know what that means so so <laughs> that's that that's the other thing i would be remiss in uh, in 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 not mentioning is you know the, the the point is to pay writers like like Lindsay uh to to write good analysis and and then actually like put that out there in the world and hopefully cover some things that wouldn't wouldn't get covered otherwise and it was really amazing to me that you know that was very clear within the values of the magazine and that it was also very clear that it was your intention to raise the payment as soon as you hit the certain Patreon goal. And then when you did, you immediately did that, which was just so like in line with the values of an anti-capitalist analysis magazine. And that somehow also still doesn't happen in lots of other things that are purportedly anti-capitalist. And so to have it be like so transparent and direct was really lovely. And also, you know, I just, I want everyone to know that about Blood Knife (laughs) when like, pitching or reading or whatever, that, that that's, you know, a sign of alignment with the values of the magazine. Well, I, I'm really happy that both of you um, did, a, did an amazing job there hawking this magazine because like, the more- <laughs> I told you, I'm in we've never publicity. Talked before. We've never You're talked publicity, before. Yeah. We've actually, yeah, no, we've never had a conversation. <laughs> I didn't know which of you was which when this started. <laughs> wow. Well, honestly, you're, you're, I mean, you're doing a great job sort of tag teaming the pitch here. And I think like, in the context of this pod, um, Blood Knife almost pitches itself because, like, a lot of what you're doing, Kurt, I'm happy to say I that, like, we share a lot of values, I think, here sort of organically. Because one of the things you're talking about that is so important to me is you're saying, like, 
there's this sense that if stuff isn't new and happening right now, it, it cannot be covered in sort of like what we consider the mainstream of media. And I'm here to tell you right now, as someone who pods a lot about old movies and also writes about old movies and old books and such um, for my newsletter, like that is such a fallacy. There's this idea out there that like you can't write if you're going to write about Alien, you know, from 1979 as a culture writer. That's only justifiable if, like, you're on vacation and that's your lazy week. And it's like, people love that shit. People would rather really, like, yeah. read about Alien yeah. than, like, whatever shitty Marvel movies out right now. <laughs> like, so, I mean, kudos to you, um, honestly, for doing that. This is so and, funny, the Marvel thing. Sorry, I just, I'm currently watching every Marvel movie in order because my partner really likes them. And because I spend, <laughs> because <laughs> I spend a lot of time, like, writing and thinking about horror, this is definitely, like, a very different vibe, like very much what you said. I'm in an apartment with my partner, so I'm not going to, you know, audibly say anything about Marvel. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's definitely like a different, the messaging is like coming from a different place. Yeah, for sure. Well, I I mean, I'm curious, like, um, I like how to, how to say this, like the, the Marvel thing is fascinating to me because like I have tried... I've tried to get into Marvel movies. I mean, Kurt knows this. Um, and I just, like, Pete and I found ourselves kind of smacking into this this bulwark constantly of, like, there was just not enough for us to say. And we ended up spending the last 20 minutes of the podcast talking about how we didn't have anything to talk about. Because we were just, like, <laughs> these elements were so, like, familiar. I mean, and I guess I'm not going anywhere with this specifically other than just to say, like, if you have... Um, if if you come up with some great insights about Marvel, I really hope that you will share them in Blood Knife or elsewhere. But ideally in Blood Knife, because this episode is about Blood Knife. <laughs> um, because Absolutely. like, I would I would love to have like more grist for the mill to learn about Marvel. So please, Lindsay, when you get there, let us know. <laughs> I will I will keep you posted. It's definitely you know it's percolating. So you'll be the first to know. <laughs> you know here I, I mean you, you say that there's not much to to say about the Marvel films but there there really is but um it's it's to a limited audience of you know dweebs and and and, and nerds because like and you know that that I think is the audience of of Blood Knife you know you know to be to be to, you know totally honest and fair but but like something that I think a lot about Marvel that that you know hint hint I I would love to receive a a pitch a, a about this or, or something along these lines is like, what does it say for superheroes as a genre that this is the representation of them? Because if you look at Marvel films, um, you know, that is the main exposure. Like the, the reason that superheroes are huge right now is because of Marvel films, right? So like so many people's uh, like primary exposure to superhero media is the Marvel films. But if you, if you talk to people who have been, following superhero media for a long time there's this conversation that people have where they get into like oh well like to what extent it does this replicate comics from like the 70s or the 80s or the 90s like what particular era of comics is this is this referencing or or drawing from or like contradicting or or like you know retconning um and that's something that that doesn't often come up in in like mainstream discussions of Marvel films, I think, because it's it's not something that will have a very you know broad draw. Like that's something that matters to you know people who have been you know you know comics fans or have been reading Daredevil since like the early eighties. Um, and, and if if you haven't, you know, it's it's not as as relevant. Like what particular elements are being drawn from from this or that? Um, you know, I I was I was on another podcast. Um, a few months back, uh, uh, a struggle session, uh, you know, mutual friends of, of both of ours. Um, oh, humble talking... bragging about going on struggle session. <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> um, uh, talking about uh, the Dark Knight Returns, and um, you know, as I read that, I was like, oh wow, so many, so so many of the movies that for, about Batman have come out over the last twenty years have borrowed specific pieces from that, and it's it's not something that's always discussed because. The, you know, the audience that has seen recent Batman movies is much, much larger than the audience that has seen even a very popular graphic novel like like The Dark Knight Returns. And so I, you know, this is a like a roundabout way of saying I think there is a lot to say about, you know, superhero films and, and Marvel films in particular. Like, I still don't think that we've gotten a good satire of Marvel films exactly. Um, and I'm, I'm very curious if we ever w will get one. I. I I think there's a lot of un unplumbed depths there, but I, I think I, I don't know that you're going to see it in like an Atlantic article. I mean, yeah. I had a good time watching Deadpool. I felt like that was, but also I don't know. 
I don't know enough about the history to be like, is this a good satire or am I just enjoying like these dick jokes? Um, it's pretty similar. I, I, I would say that 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 Deadpool faithfully represents a lot of at least like the Deadpool and Cable run. It, it, it's it's a little bit more uh, quippy, but it's it's not it, if it's it's pretty similar. If you like okay. that, you would probably like uh, the Deadpool and Cable run. See, that's good to know. OK, because I feel I feel bad now for being like, I don't know anything about this Marvel business, these superhero like I. it's just not something that I know about, but I don't want some hypothetical person to be horrified that I've said this. So like, I'll, I'll check that out. I'll check out the, the Deadpool cable run. I don't want to be dismissive. This is what we do on Podside Picnic. We, we spread, share the cultural <laughs> love, get, turn people on to comic books that they didn't know about. This is beautiful. Fantastic. Um, Thank you. <laughs> Connor, I, 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 want, <laughs> I want to give you credit, um, by the way, because um, it was actually an, an article that you wrote um, for the outline was one of my inspirations um, for starting this. Um, and that was uh, the piece on uh, revolutionary gothic. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed that piece. And reading it, I was like, wow, I wish there were a lot more uh, pieces like this. And then a couple months later, uh, unfortunately, you know, the, the, the outline closed up shop, uh, of course. And, and then I was like, oh, oh, no. Um, but, but, you know, that, that is one of, of a couple of pieces um, specifically that like I, I read and it left this impression in my mind of like, huh, this is an interesting take that I feel like I wouldn't read anywhere else. I don't know what's exactly going to like set the internet on 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 fire. I don't know if that's necessarily a you know a, a good thing setting Twitter on on fire. Um, <laughs> although maybe literally so it, it would be. Um, but uh, but but like I would be remiss in in not mentioning that like pieces like that and in particular your piece were very much where my head was at um, in in trying to to get this 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 venture going. Um, and, uh, and, and hint, hint, you know, if you ever wanted to, to contribute anything, I would be delighted to, uh, to, 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 uh, re receive that pitch. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you. Honestly, like I, I always like to be wry in my responses, but in this case I have to be sincere and say that I'm, I'm really flattered that, uh, that piece had this, this strong of an effect on you. Um, so thank you. And also like, I think your chances of being pitched by me are pretty good. So <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's hold that. Let's hold that thought. But um, yeah, I mean, it, I also, I was laughing just because like, it's such a 2020 thing to be like, Oh, I read this amazing piece. And I was like this outlet. They're so, they're, they're so cool for running it. And they close like a month later. <laughs> <laughs> that's just, that's just art. That's just life now. Um, yeah. I like started trying to do freelance writing a couple months ago and watching that be, you know, joining this community or whatever in time to hear that that is the general feeling of the moment was sort of like, Oh, this is terrifying, but I'm having fun. So it's okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I say like you get you get like a combat medal basically for starting a freelance career in 2020. Like kudos to you. That's that's brave. It's just I need health insurance. But thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Fair and enough. Like, I to mean, to be clear. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, go ahead, man, please. Oh, oh I was just saying, like, to, to be clear, the it, it seemed absurd to me, by the way, that that so many um, blogs and magazines should be, should be going out of business because, in theory, it should not cost that much money um, to run a blog, right? Like, uh, like unless you're trying to have, you know, a bunch of full-time staff, which, 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 to be clear, I think is good if you can pull it off. Um, but I, I don't think you necessarily need, you know, I, like like full time staff to run a blog. And I think part of the challenge of making them work is the fact that they are expected to be a big source of revenue that isn't just going to 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 pay people for doing work. Um, so, you know, I think that if you are able to do basically as we are trying to do is all the money that we receive through subscriptions that we are, we are using to pay contributors. Um, and none of it really goes anywhere else. Um, you can actually, you know, and especially at, at how like relatively low a good rate for, uh, an online piece is like, you should be able to create a lot of, like a lot of content, um, and pay a lot of people if you're not like, trying to create, you know, a media empire, which which we specifically are are not. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of theories about that. Um, obviously, I'm part of this newsletter collective, which is cool because we're all kind of doing our own thing, but we're joining together to promote each other's work and kind of be like colleagues in a, in a certain way, which is which is awesome. And then Podside Picnic, this very podcast, joined the Opt Out News Network, which is going to be, which is a um, independent left-wing media app that's going to bring together all these independent outlets of which we are one, one of the tiniest. Um, 
to sort of promote each other. And like, so my point being that we're in a moment where these new models are taking shape. And also you have, I think, uh, the defector is really interesting, which is the X deadspin staff transplanted like 90% intact from what is now zombie deadspin onto their independent project where they're taking subscriptions. <laughs> um, and I mean, I, I signed up immediately. It's, it's going to be, that's going to be very high quality and replicate traditional publication, I think. Uh, and I, I outpace most traditional publications I would expect in terms of quality. But like my, the point being that like once you, yeah, once you remove this need for some shadowy overlord, who's hoovering up all the profits or you remove the imperative to make advertising dollars, there's so much more that you could do with media and there's never been more demand for like good content on the internet. It's just that the ways that it's been financed have been so terrible. And I hope we can sort of collectively figure out ways to solve that. And I think, I hope, and I think that blood knife can be part of that. Yeah, I, I certainly hope so. And, and yeah, I mean, people want content and people are willing to, to pay for it. Like, uh, I, I mean, like, I, I, honestly, shockingly so. Um, but, you know, I, I'm delighted. Like, like I, I was not expecting to hit our, our first uh, very reasonable Patreon goal um, within the first like two days. And, and then we did, which is which which is great. I was not expecting that. I, I was very much resigned to like, well, we're just going to kind of like keep, you know, slowly, slowly turning along. Um, and to, you know, to, to be clear, our subscriber base is, is, uh, you know, still quite small, um, but, but it is, you know, steadily growing and, um, yeah, people, people are willing to, uh, pay for, for content that speaks to their interests and is created with care and not just because you, you know, want to be able to do, uh, referral click links to Amazon to, you know, sell pieces of like crockery and stuff. <laughs> Oh, my, my piece is actually there. Those are embedded all through there. Like any <laughs> words you click on will take you directly to like a ceramic bowl. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I want to get, I want to get Lindsay's take on this. Cause like you, you're out there in the wilds of <laughs> book publicity, right? Yeah. Um, the wilds. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean like to what you were saying before about like, if you overthrow, you know, the, the profit hoovering overlord, then the underclasses or whatever will rise up in terms of media specifically, but also like in terms of just the entire world is something that would be great to see working with books a lot. It's like been very weird and anxiety producing at this moment um, because so much of like the publishing industry is kind of antiquated in a way that, you know, every like, I feel like every six months there's like a think piece that's like, has anyone seen a paper book recently? No, no one's buying them anymore. <laughs> publishing is over. And <laughs> Obviously, not that's true, not the, the case, but <laughs> yeah, absolutely sorry. not true. Um, but especially right now, like fewer people have seen a paper book recently. So like, I feel like there's a shift happening in terms of like, what is profitable and how are, how is, how can money be made off of publishing that is like also forcing people to reckon with the way that money has been made off of publishing in the past. And in terms of like other recent reckonings that publishing and media have faced in terms of like racial equality and like problematic business practices financially and socially, it's been like kind of amazing. Also terrifying because as you were mentioning earlier, lots of things are like shuttering or closing their doors or transitioning into a new format. But also again, kind of amazing to see that like, perhaps there is another way to do things that is more about disseminating content among people and getting, you know, having people have access to stories rather than being about like profits and the hoovering by an overlord and linking to crockery. I think we're, I'm going to keep the hoovering overlord phrase because we seem to have fastened <laughs> onto that one. Going to reuse that. Um, yeah. And I, I, by the way, I want to thank you for getting into one of my favorite topics as Kurt knows, which is how just unfathomably poorly run the publishing industry is. <laughs> I mean, you know, I would, there are definitely so many like very wonderful people who are working very hard that I like have had the privilege to know in the publishing industry, which I'm only saying to be like, yes, the publishing industry is run in a way that is like baffling and horrifying to me. I just want to acknowledge those people, I guess, because I'm here. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would be clear. Like, yeah, I know some wonderful people in that are working in traditional publishing as well um, or in, in new models. And like those people deserve their due. It's just really unfortunate to see like the decisions that are made at higher levels and how the actual like huge commercial publishers are run it's you know it's very disheartening and it's a recurring topic on the show um mm -hmm. i i'm thinking so i i guess what i want to get um from you kurt is like let's say that i 
I have a cool idea. I want to pitch to Blood Knife. And obviously, I should go to your site because you have some useful info on there. I should read the pieces that you have out so I know the kind of things you're interested in. Those are givens if I want to pitch you. But like, what else do you want to say to people who might have a piece they want to pitch to Blood Knife? What's what's the skinny? Well, well, I mean, the the first thing I would say is is you know, please please do it um, because you know, right right now we are booked with articles for as as we speak. Uh, we have um, August completely booked out. Um, September, there's one or two spots open, uh, and then October is is completely booked out, and then we we have a couple things in uh, November. But but you know we're we're constantly churning through pitches and and content like as quickly as as they are coming in. But what, what I'll say is, um, you know I I worked not recently, but I worked um, in journalism as an editor. Uh, a number of years ago, um, and one of the things I was really baffled by is how opaque it is. Uh, trying to to get published in these like outlets that like by all appearances are desperate for for content, but they sure don't make it easy uh, to pitch. So I'm I'm glad that you asked this. Um, here's what I would say: uh, the I, I think the ideal thing uh, that Blood Knife is really looking to run is one an original take on um, a piece of media that is either uh, it 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 could be current. Um, it, it could be connected to the current moment. Um, so, you know, our uh, mutual friend, uh, Car- Carlo Yeager Rodriguez, had a piece uh, analyzing um, a particular character uh, in Children of Men and how it related to the depiction of, you know, fascism and, and tying in with, you know, recent events. Um, and that that was that was perfect because, you know, it wasn't a recent piece, but it is relevant or alternately, you know, something that has gone un- unanalyzed. Like we're, we're not just looking for stuff that is of the moment um would would love to run some stuff that is more about you know older forgotten things from the 60s and 70s uh for instance but what i would say is you know i i think the key thing is uh why would someone be interested in this who knows nothing about the media in question um i i think that that's like the main the main key um because i think one of the good or bad things um depending upon how you look at it about the the way that mainstream publications tend to do criticism is that they assume uh, a level of familiarity with with something just from being exposed to like advertising and and media but if if not they generally do still do a good job of like why am i writing this column why do you care about this um and and i I do think that that is like probably the most important thing to consider in a pitch um our our current typical article length is about 800 words um i i am looking i I would say the the next time that the the next uh the next goal is going to be to add more content and that will that will either be longer pieces or more pieces um uh, but cu- currently we're, we're publishing things that are about, about 800 words. Um, so, you know, it, it probably can't be, you know, an exegesis on all nine alien films, for instance, but you know, one or two of them could, could be, or, you know, I'm, I'm open to a multi-part pitch. Um, but, uh, and then the, the other thing I would say is, you know, we are an explicitly anti-capitalist, anti-fascist, anti-racist um, pro LGBTQ publication. Um, and I, we, we are really very much focused on providing like, I, 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 this is more of a publishing industry term, but I'm going to hijack it for, for this own voices analysis. I am, I am deeply interested in how people, um, you know, feel about media that is meant to speak to them. Um, so, so, you know, I, I, I think that's something we're extremely interested in running and we really want to push to have, um, you know, good representation in the, uh, contributors that, that we are, um, publishing and also just in kind of the themes and, and pieces that, that we're exploring. Um, so I, I think that that about covers it, um, in, in terms of, you know, what I would say, but, but above all, you know, we are really focused on trying to knock down, um, barriers to publications. So it really doesn't matter, in my opinion, if you have any clips, if you have previously published work. If you do, that's awesome. Um, and, you know, it, it definitely helps give uh, us slash me at this point an idea of, you know, what what your kind of style of, of writing is. Um, but it's absolutely not necessary. And, you know, if if you're not sure how to pitch something, pitch something honestly, um, email me at Kurt with, with, with a K, K-U-R-T at bloodknife.com. And, and if you say, hey, I'm kind of interested in pitching uh, something about, you know, um, 
blah blah theme in blah blah movie or blah blah tv show but i've never written a pitch before can you give me some pointers i'm more than happy uh to do that and you know if 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 i get a pitch that is not quite banged down the middle um i I will do everything in my power to help you get it there uh to where it it is publishable um because you know i've 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 been on the other side of this and it's it's a pain in the ass so i'm i'm trying to make it less of a pain in the ass (laughs) i i want to say here having pitched just sort of cold pitch stuff out in the wild, not knowing what I was doing. Pitching is horrible. I'm sure many of our <laughs> listeners are aware of this. It's like the worst thing ever. It sucks. Uh, it sucks. Yeah, it's and, bad. And, yeah, and like I just want to thank Kurt here because what you just said about like being willing to help people and work on pitches with them and being open, like that's a huge deal, man. Because like it's 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 intimidating. It's really disheartening because you will get rejections if you pitch stuff out there in the world. Um, you will get editors that just ignore you. Like it, you know, those oh, yeah, things God. will happen. To get, yeah. to get a rejection, to get a rejection and feedback would be delightful. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. I've sent people emails that are just like, thank you so much for telling me that you don't want this. It means the world to me. <laughs> and then I'm sort of like, wow, where am I at right now that this is how I feel about this rejection email? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, you know, and I've, I've had that experience too, of just being like, you get the rejection and then it, it includes some like feedback that shows they actually paid attention to it. And you're like, Oh, huh, yeah. they love me. You know? <laughs> like, um, I, and so I guess my point is like, I just want to say to everyone, if you're interested in writing stuff, um, Kurt's attitude is exceptional and in a, in a good, in the best way. And I think that blood knife is a really good place to go. So I'll encourage everyone. It's bloodknife.com. Go there, check it out consider becoming a patron of their Patreon. Read read Lindsay's piece. Read the other pieces. You will not be disappointed. And I think that we're definitely going to have Kurt back on and, and other folks and maybe Lindsay back on. And I don't know what's going to happen. But like, point being, we're going to talk about this some more. But everyone should go check out bloodknife.com. Um, it's, it's the real deal. And I'm really, really proud and excited to see someone that I know from my internet orbit doing these cool things. And on that note, I want to ask you both... Um, I think I'll ask Kurt first, um, what other stuff do you want to plug aside from bloodknife.com at bloodknife.com? <laughs> well, well, the main thing is bloodknife.com at bloodknife.com. Um, the, 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 you know, I'll, I'll add, you know, you can sign up at patreon.com slash bloodknife, um, signing up uh, for as little as $5. And really $5 is, is what, what we encourage. Um, gets you basically early access to the full issues once a month as they come out. Um, our 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 model is basically to release one or two um, of the pieces uh, around the end of 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 each month. So you know the the August issue will come out around about the August twenty sixth uh, date. Um, the August twenty sixth day. I'm me talk good, um, but uh, you know just just to, to kind of tease some of the stuff that will be in uh, this issue. Um, we're going to have. Uh, I'm I'm excited for to to mention this one. Um, I think this is the first time I have said this explicitly. We're we're gonna have a piece on uh, Lovecraft's country, um, both the book and the new TV show uh, by Leslie Leslie Lee the third of Circle Session, um, which I am super excited. I haven't gotten the draft for for it yet, but I'm super excited to get that. Uh, there's going to be a piece um, examining um, moon moon colonization fiction um, and kind of the why so much of it is very like libertarian, like hyper capitalist oriented things like uh, the moon is a harsh mistress. There, there, there was a recent one, the name of which uh, escapes me. Um, we're also going to have a piece that's looking at the way that we talk about robotic ethics um, in sci fi and the way that that kind of translates into the way that. Uh, robotics has played su- such a big role in the military industrial complex. So if you're interested in uh, those pit- in those kind of concepts and those stories, if you go to our Patreon and sign up, you will get those um, all in one block as soon as, as they come out. Um, if you don't sign up, uh, what we do is once once a week we release a new article and and kind of kind of unlock it. Um, and you know the the last thing I'll say about Blood Knife is you know we're we're really trying to I think. Um, uh, capture some of the weird stuff that you can do with the the internet of like not just conveying the content but conveying like a tone and making it feel kind of like zany. So we have all sorts of weird graphics and you know there's there was like there's like going to be playlists with each episode. Um, I'm I'm we actually are going to have some original artwork um, in the next issue uh, as as well. Um, so you know we're 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 trying to to kind of push a little bit on on what we can do with 
a a digital magazine and not just make it like a a blog role. But I mean, the the other thing that I have that I'm always working on is uh, my uh, parenting and children's media podcast, Parents Just Don't Understand, which has been on kind of like a mini hiatus recently. Um, but we actually have a, a banger of an episode that um, is going to be coming out in the next couple of days uh, where we did um, a, a kind of review of the early 90s anti-drug PSA uh, cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue with Brett Payne of Street Fight. Um, and that was a super fun conversation. Uh, and that should be coming out in the next couple of days, too. Um, and that is available uh, wherever fine podcasts are downloadable. Awesome. Thank you, Kurt. Uh, Lindsay, what else do you want to plug? Uh, well, you know, I don't know if anyone has mentioned uh, Bloodknife at bloodknife.com yet. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that got in there. Um, I guess the the other thing in the spirit of anti-fascism is I um, have a, an interview coming out sometime in the next couple of weeks. I don't know when it'll be exactly, but um, with a protester in Hong Kong who I have been speaking with that, um, you know, I think everyone should be aware of not just my Q&A about this, but like generally what's going on in Hong Kong and the way that it's mirrored by what's going on here right now as well. So um, that will exist at some time in the near future. Um, and then also, yeah, no, I'm going to talk about my, my partner's cowboy drag ASMR YouTube channel. Um, it's called Stony Lonesome ASMR. Definitely also look at that if you need something to help you calm down after focusing a lot on fascism. Uh, there's, you know, a video where you've fallen off your, ha- your horse and then Stony Lonesome saves you from being eaten by wolves. So Go, oh my God. go look at that as oh well. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is amazing. <laughs> it really wow, is. It's it. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Stony Lonesome, ASMR, and keep an eye out for Lindsay Wallace's writing out there in the wild, as we keep saying, when you're not being eaten by wolves, when that's not an imminent problem. You can, you can read the content. Um, well, I think that that probably puts us in a good spot to, to leave this. Um, unless you folks have anything else you want to add, uh, I... I will say that you're both you're both welcome and encouraged to come back on this show um, whenever you want. So please be in touch. And this has honestly been great. I will I will say check out Bloodknife at bloodknife.com. Um, anything else you two want to add? Uh, just, uh, uh, oh, sorry. No, no. I, I was just gonna say honestly, just you know, thanks again for for having us on. It's it's great, greatly appreciated. Um, you know, helping us kind of get the word out about about both the article and and you know the publication in in general. Um, you know, there's there's no there's no actual personal enrichment that goes to me. Uh, all of the all of the the Patreon goes to other writers. So you know, it, uh, so so Connor, you are helping writers right now. So so good for you. you know, uh, good good for you. Also get good, a medal. But, yeah, but no no no. I'm I, I I honestly I'm a big fan of uh, of the podcast, and it's always a delight to come on. So you know, thanks so much for having me back on. Well, thank you, man. And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be here. Also, and also, you know, in terms of like Kurt being extremely nurturing and kind to new writers, like not only did I get to like as a completely new freelance writer have my piece published in blood knife but i'm also here right now on this podcast because kurt was like hey do you want to do this so these this is such an amazing opportunity for me and i really appreciate it and this has been so much fun well i always make jokes but in all seriousness that's really great to hear and um (laughs) thank you both for coming on and um it's it's been great i'm very very proud of this episode and i am super excited to see where blood knife goes and to see where everything else by both of you goes and on that note I'm going to say goodbye and good night to our listeners. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.